This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joel Show podcast. Today on the pod, BC's Attorney General questions judge training after West Vancouver voyeur and Empire of Grass. We talked to the authors of a new book, looking into the history and future of the one million acre Douglas Ranch, BC and Canada's largest. And Marian Webster declared authentic as the 2023's Word of the Year. Why? Our Friday Wrap Panel weighs in. That's all next on the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. First, let's focus on the law or those who work within the legal system. BC's Attorney General is questioning the training given the province's judges in a sexual predator case following a controversial uh, sentence handed to a West Vancouver man who spied on a woman using a camera hidden inside an electric toothbrush charger. Now, the convicted voyeur voyeur hid a camera in the toothbrush charger and recorded photos and videos of an international student nude or partially dressed in a bathroom on nine separate occasions. Now, in detailing mental health and um, pre-sentence reports during sentencing, the Crown prosecutor told the court that the offence occurred during a a period of the man's life where there were some sexual intimacy issues between him and his wife, and for some reason he felt capturing images and satisfying those urges uh, wouldn't be hurting anyone as long as the individual didn't know. Uh, now, in sentencing the 43-year-old individual, North Vancouver Provincial Court Judge Joseph Galati acknowledged, quote, a marital intimacy deficit contributed to the offending uh, target, uh, sorry, offending conduct. Joining me now to talk a little bit about um, the broader issue of the court and sensitivity is Nikki Sharma, BC's Attorney General Minister. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. So first of all, generally, attorney generals don't comment on specific cases. Why was this one uh, a particularly um, an egregious issue for you that you felt you needed to comment publicly? Um, well, you know, I have to say it's about one case, but also it's about uh, a bigger thing. And, and I think we know that a lot of people that experience sexual violence or sexual assault do not come forward to the justice system to deal with that, um, what is a crime. And I think we have a bigger systemic issue. And I just want to say that myself as attorney general, I own part of that and we need to do better, but so does every part of the justice system that we need to make sure that people that experience sexualized violence feel, um, feel like coming forward, right. To get some form of justice or at least a fair hearing process when that when they come forward, and I think that's part of the responsibility we all have in our system. Now, Judge Joseph Galati acknowledged uh, what I what uh, we were talking about earlier, which is a marital intimacy deficit contributed to the offending conduct. That's obviously based on information uh, received during pre-sentencing from a report uh, from Crown Prosecutor Ariana Ward. The judge is going by information that is presented to him in this case. Do you think the judge erred here? Is it or is it, is it a case of of just the overall system that we're talking about? Uh, yeah, it, it's hard for me to comment on the details of what happened in that court process with the decision. But what I can say, just generally speaking, is when people come forward with sexualized violence, we have to understand, we all actors have to understand a trauma-informed uh, approach to what that person's experiencing. 
and and remove the the kind of preconceptions or wrongful um, ideas of what excuses could be at play to what is an excuse for sexual predation, right? Nothing. And and I think that that's a very serious conversation to have in our justice system, but just generally speaking, right, is how we look at and the society view um, view the victim in this scenario and the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a letter published by the BC branch of the Canadian Bar Association that uh, uh, basically said uh, that uh, your comments risk undermining the public's confidence in the criminal justice system. What do you say to that that comment? Yeah, you know, I, I as Attorney General, um, I, I know clearly that we have a strong justice and we have a strong independent judiciary. We have a lot of very professional, great actors in our system. But I don't think that stops us from helping us uh, do better or figure out where we need to do better and make those changes. Um, I think it's always important for systems that are there, especially very fundamental systems in a democracy like our justice system, to be self-reflective, to understand how we can evolve and change. And I think that's just part of the work that all like independent actors in the system need to constantly do. And, you know, I know there's a lot of committed leaders in that system that are constantly doing it, but just having a conversation or, or provoking how we need to make things better is, I think, part of all of our work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one would argue you are also uh, the Attorney General. There is weight to that particular office, uh, and your comments cast doubt on the judge's decision in this particular case. Um, do you see, do you believe you should, if you were to do it over again, that perhaps you would have had that conversation privately, or at least um, maybe educate the public on how some of these decisions are made? Because at the end of the day, having co- covered courts for many years myself, these are complex uh, issues. There's never bl- simple and black and white. Uh, these reports are lengthy. They are complex personal issues, family issues, uh, at times, uh, you know, sexual issues, all of those things, all those issues go into making a decision for these judges. Do you think if you were to do it over again, perhaps not commenting it about publicly, but working within the system would have been better rather than to say that the entire system needs work? Uh, well, you know, I accept that we need to have, and it's very important, and I see that as a strong independent judiciary that is you know, free from political influence. But I also accept my own responsibility as attorney general to make sure that, you know, the part of it that is my responsibility in terms of how we handle um, sexualized violence in our justice system is work that I need to do to understand my piece of it. And I think every part of the justice system needs to reflect on this. The, the reality is, is that we know that a majority of people that experience sexualized violence do not come forward, whether it's through police or through, um, you know, any kind of form of our, our entry points into the justice system. And to me, that's a problem. And I own my part of that mm-hmm. as Attorney General to make that better. And I think we all need to. But you do acknowledge you perhaps could have handled this particular file a little bit better? Um, no, I, di- I didn't say that. I think I think it's a conversation that we need to have in general when it comes to uh, how we understand mm-hmm. um, sexualized violence and how it shows up in the justice system. Now, and later on in this program, we are going to speak to the folks over at the Battered Women's Support Services uh, here um, in Vancouver. Uh, what would you like to see change specifically? Are, are, are there uh, you know more money needed for more programs? Uh, all those are available still, and there are uh, courses and uh, for judges and for those who work in the legal system already, what would you change beyond that that you think would hopefully reduce what you believe in this case uh, speaks to a certain insensitivity? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's a really important question. How all actors in the death system understand a trauma-informed approach to uh, people that are coming forward with sexualized violence, I think is an important conversation. I think it's important to think about how our systems and how the processes of how we support victims through court services, through how we support victims that are coming forward through police and building up those safe supports and policies, certainly work that we're working on as a government and I hope to have more to talk about um, in the future. And, and I think that's probably every part of a lot of the, the things about how society even thinks about these things that are as part of the dialogue that we all need to have. It, it, it's, to me, a problem that um, something that is, is a crime that a lot of people face, particularly women, um, is not, uh, you know, the, the, the amount of times it comes forward to a result um, where people even want to come forward with it is so small. I think that's a problem for society that we all need to work on. Minister, as always, really appreciate your time. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate you, uh, you having me on, and you too. Have a great weekend. All right. Well, across Canada, journalism programs at multiple post-secondary schools have had to close down or pause student intake to modify their curriculum due to low enrollment levels. CKNW intern and BCIT journalism student Leah Andres spoke to industry professionals about why this is occurring. Communicating information to the public via video, audio, or print can all be linked back to a certain area of study, journalism. And whether it be daily community updates or reporting from the front lines overseas, all of it is still important. So when I learned that journalism programs across Canada are shutting down due to low enrollments, I found myself asking, how could this be? Consuming news has drastically changed in just a short number of years. Now more than ever, people are finding their news from social media in bite-sized forms on platforms such as TikTok and X, formerly known as Twitter. More traditional forms of journalism are becoming less consumed, like tuning in to the 6 o'clock news and listening to the radio. Additionally, with Bill C-18 blocking news outlets from posting on meta-platforms, it's even more challenging for verified news to reach audiences. Loyalist College in Ontario was home to one of the journalism programs that had to close its doors due to low enrollment. Marissa Dragani is a TV and radio professor at Loyalist who explains that their program was anything but outdated. And the reason for shutting down is more to do with a lack of knowledge of what a journalist actually does. We didn't close because we weren't innovative and we weren't modern. We closed because of... I think a number of things. Number one, the job of a journalist is not modeled for kids anywhere. Kids don't know what journalism is. Parents cut cable. There's no more appointment television. There's no newspaper coming to the front door. Kids don't understand what a journalist does. They don't watch a TV newscast. Consuming news is an extremely private thing. You consume on your phone. And that's it. You ask a kid to, to make a, a choice of what they're seeing on TikTok is with, with a critical eye to question, where does this video from the Ukraine war come from? Who's putting this out there? Is this verified? Is this real? Is it, or is this from 20 years ago? They can't do that. They can't look at branded content and understand that that's advertising and that that's not journalism. 
And I should also add that as a recruitment tool, we would go into high schools and do media literacy to try and get students excited about journalism. So I don't know what more we could have done, and I, I really commend Loyalist College for keeping the program open as long as it did with such low enrollment, because I joined in 2012, and enrollment was a struggle. Here in Metro Vancouver, the British Columbia Institute of Technology is home to its own broadcast and online journalism program, one that sees graduates each year get into the professional field. While the program hasn't needed to shut down or pause intake to modify curriculum, it still hasn't been safe from the low enrollment bug. This semester's first year class is nearly half the size of the previous two years. So how can programs around the country keep students curious about journalism? Daniel Getz is the Associate Dean of Broadcast Communications at BCIT and says the answer could lie in how these programs are presented and promoted to the public. While journalism is in the title, the learning takeaways can be used in careers such as PR, marketing, and communications. I mean, yes, we teach journalism, um, but the techniques that we teach do not only equip uh, graduates to go out and work in newsrooms in the traditional sense. Uh, and so I think that uh, we need to start uh, allowing people to think of us more as a training ground for storytellers rather than just out-and-out -out traditional straight-laced journalists. Uh, but it's also in what are we calling ourselves? Is broadcast and online journalism the right name for our program? in 2024 and beyond. Those are the kinds of conversations uh, we are having now. I'm sure it's the kinds of conversations that journalism programs are having right across the country and around the world. We provide the foundational skills for careers in all sorts of different areas uh, reflected in you know, what we call our programs in the future. The world is always changing which means the ways that journalists and storytellers alike inform their audiences will need to change too. One thing that won't change is that these professions are needed, and our society will always need journalists to tell the stories of tomorrow. Daniel sums it up pretty nicely in a few sentences. Journalism is important now and in the future because it is a key pillar of our democracy. Citizens need to be empowered to make decisions about the world around them, about their lives, about their daily business. And the only way they can be empowered to do that is with information. And information comes from storytelling, journalism, newsrooms, organizations that deal in fact and truth and not misinformation. And that's why I think journalism is always going to be an important part of our society. For 980-CKNW, I'm Aliyah Andres. Now, Douglas Lake is the largest ranch in Canada. It encompasses over 1 million acres of BC's south-central interior, and thousands of people have worked there since it was founded in the mid-1880s. Douglas Lake now includes BC's first cattle ranch, Alkali Lake Ranch, as well as Circle S Ranch, Cochena Ranch, Risky Creek Ranching, and the infamous Gang Ranch. It has had a succession of wealthy owners, including Charles Chunky Woodward of Woodward Stores and the current owner of U.S. real estate and sports mogul Stan Cronky. Well, there's a new book written about Douglas Lake. It's called Douglas Lake Ranch, Empire of Grass. Uh, the author is Donna West, uh, and of course, a significant contribution
question from Joe Gardner, who was the general manager. So, uh, Donna and Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Hello. I've been looking forward to this. I'm, uh, I grew up in the interior in Williams Lake, so I, you, I, I'm a caribou kid, and I've wanted to do this interview for a while, so I really appreciate both of you making time uh, for us on this program. Uh, maybe I'll start with you first, Donna. What motivated you uh, to be involved in this project? Well, because Douglas Lake Ranch is the largest ranch in Canada, it's an interesting and really important part of the history of BC. And as it turned out, there had not been an updated history done since 1979 when uh, Nina Williams' book, Cattle Ranch, came out. Um, And that year, 1979, was also when Joe Gardner became the general manager. So when I found out that he was still there in in 2017, this was the perfect time to write that part of the history of the Douglas Lake Ranch. Mm-hmm. Now, Joe, to my understanding, uh, I believe you retired uh, in 2019. What was uh, what was the sort of daily life? What is daily life like on the ranch? <clears throat> well, I. Uh... It sort of uh, depended on what happened that day. It changed every day. There was always some new issue, um, although none of them were new. Um, so it was weather or um, breakdowns or equipment or something. And people, the most important part of the story is all the people that worked there over the years. Mm-hmm. In, the, in uh, the early years, there was couple of hundred people working full-time on the ranch and so there was always every time I walked out of my office into the yard at the home ranch there'd be somebody standing out there looking around and if I walked over them and said hi they'd say you know I worked here in 19 so-and-so and <laughs> so it was always people visiting that used to work there it's it's a working ranch um how how did it how much um how much change did you see in your time there? You were there for a long time, and ranching, like any other profession, does change. Uh, it's a way of life, and I understand that, but it evolves and changes as well. What kind of changes did you see in your time there? Well, we saw lots of change. I suppose the most significant thing was computers and um, programs for tracking cattle and that kind of thing, the basics. Um, of raising good cattle and getting weight on them and providing them with proper feed and all those things um, were the basics. And it was just improvements on those with better equipment, better farming methods, better irrigation systems. Douglas Lake has always had a full crew of cowboys, farmers, um, fencers, um, purchasing agents, storekeepers, cooks. Um, the whole place wouldn't operate without a cook very long. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, ranching is the main business, um, uh, Donna, and then I, I think Timber was the, the second one in the book. But recreation um, is, is a business there as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, fly fishing. Uh, people I talk to have been going to Salmon Lake for years for fly fishing. I mean, decades. Uh, every year, uh, these same people go back for the great fly fishing there. 
And there's a bunch of lakes as well that uh, they go to. And uh, I think they, no, I, I think I've said that there could be upwards of uh, a thousand people at a time fishing there. Mm-hmm. But Joe, is that number exaggerated? Oh, not at all. You know, when Chunky and his partner, John West, um, bought the ranch in 1959, one of the main things they were interested in, uh, other than the cattle ranch, was the hunting and the fishing. And so that's always been a part of the business, albeit small, compared to the cattle. Um, um, The cattle industry in Canada is largely centered in Alberta, so it's unusual that the largest ranch in Canada is in BC. Mm-hmm. And it just happens to be that the beautiful piece of grassland, sort of um, east of Merritt and west of Vernon and Kelowna, um, is a natural resource there. And that open, rolling hills grassland is a beautiful piece of property. It hosts many endangered species and. Um, uh, the array of wildlife and everything there is unbelievable. And I think that that's partly because it's been private land for a long, long time and been protected by managers well before me mm-hmm. and me and the current manager. So it's a beautiful piece of property. Yeah, we, we, we talk about it occasionally, but I'm not sure most British Columbians understand the sheer size and scope of it, uh, as, as you describe it, uh, Joe. Donna, do you think there's probably more interest in it now when you see TV shows like Yellowstone, which provide these beautiful scenery uh, of the U.S., of course, but the issue of ranching and, and rural life, uh, not just that it's romanticized, but it is, the country is stunning when you watch Yellowstone. Um, do you think there's been a revival or interest more so now for, for places like Douglas Ranches because of what, what the Uset, uh, Yellowstone represents? That could well, well certainly be the there's been a... Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Let me, let's get Donna to answer first, and I'll come to you for a moment there, Joe. Uh, Donna, your thoughts? Uh, I think that could very well be. The, the romance of cowboys and ranching has always been, uh, been popular, I think. Uh, and this is this this book is about not only the cowboys but all the other people who work on the ranch and it really is about the people the people who made this ranch what it is mm-hmm. and people like joe and his wife sammy that that created a community uh, not just you know these these are ranches that are not close to any town or or city so their lives are on the ranch, so there's a there's a um, a general store. There are events and and activities for all the people, the families who live there. And mm-hmm. when there are enough children there, there there has also been a school. Uh, I'm curious, uh, Joe. When you left, uh, how many employees roughly were there? Well, like, what was the size of the community? Well, there was probably 125 employees at the time, mm-hmm. and there probably still is. It goes up in the summer with recreation and everything. But back to the Yellowstone comment for mm-hmm. a minute. It, the two are very much the same, a beautiful big piece of property, absolutely stunning piece of property, and um, a lot of people working. Um, there's other things that are similar. I mean, I did a lot of things 
in the helicopter. So I had a helicopter and did a lot of things about the ranch on and off that way also. So similar to Yellowstone, except we didn't have a train station where I could get rid of people I didn't want. <laughs> and, 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 and we, we had a large Indian reserve next door. So mostly that was uh, compatible um, mm-hmm. and we got along fine. There was the odd conflict, but uh, certainly I'm not saying that there was never a girl in the boys' bunkhouse, but they certainly (laughs) didn't live in the same one like they do on Yellowstone. There you go. Um, I'm curious, you know, uh, these properties, uh, property like this doesn't uh, change hands very often in regards to ownership. What's it like, um, and maybe I'll go to you, Joe, first, and Donna, if you want to jump in as well. What's it like just, uh, you know, running a place like that for owners that are not there all the time? Obviously, uh, Stan Kroenke, uh, sports executive, um, owns a premiership uh, soccer team, uh, owns the LA Rams as well. Um, what's it like just, you know, running a facility like that when the ownership isn't there? The owner is away with other vast interests that they're running. Well, Sammy and I were hired by Chunky and Carol Woodward. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, he bought the ranch in 59. Uh, we came along in 79, and we got along famously, and Chunky really liked being at the ranch. He'd sooner be there than anywhere else. So he was there a lot. Um, after Chunky passed away in 1990, his um, children got the ranch, and I worked for them for eight years. And they were interested in the ranch also, kept it um, healthy, mm-hmm. but it didn't fit their long-term plans. So it was sold and went to a fellow by the name of Bernie Ebers. Yep. And when these, those things started to happen, of course, I'd be concerned about my job. <laughs> uh, but, um, but of course, I was able to keep the job um, and then... You mentioned Mr. Cronky, and so Stan is a wonderful owner. Was very supportive of our expansions in the last uh, twelve years, which have basically doubled our size, um, and very supportive of the, the operation. When he came with friends, usually um, he wanted to tour about. He wanted to go to the far reaches of the ranch. Mm -hmm. He wanted to see everything out there that he possibly could in the days that he spent at the ranch. He didn't get to spend as much time there as Junkie did, but he certainly liked to be there. Yeah. Uh, My final question is to Donna. Donna, what do you see for the future with the Douglas Lake Ranch? It is a... It's a, it's a jewel in this country, in this province, uh, and it represents a certain way of life. Uh, what do you see in, in the years ahead for the Douglas Lake Ranch? Oh, I think it's essential that it continue as a, as a ranch, which, of course, it will. Um, and um, it's an important part of, of, of agriculture. Mm-hmm. As, as much as people may be moving away from... Uh, animal products and maybe going more plant-based, but there's still a huge number of people who really enjoy beef. Mm -hmm. The ranching industry is is really important, and uh, the fact that they are uh, 
on such beautiful grasslands, it will, it's sustainable. It will be there forever. This is something that is not going to come to an end. Well, don't, don't, sorry, go ahead, Joe. Did you want to finish up? Yeah, the grasslands there, the natural grasslands at Douglas Lake, um, all the owners in the past have not sold or developed or sold off pieces when there's people wanting piece here or piece there. It's been kept intact and it's been expanded, as I said earlier. And that grassland makes it a low-cost producer of beef cattle in B.C. Because hmm. we can actually keep cattle out on the grass longer than most other ranches because of the deeded grasslands. So most ranchers in B.C. have some crown grazing rights where they put their cattle out on crown range and pay the government a fee. But we're able to get, uh, get by more days of the year without going on crown land. We still need those ranges, mm-hmm. and they're very important to us. But uh, I remember one year we had 2,000 cows, um, never got fed a flake of hay. Um, they were able to make it through the winter on our natural grasslands making us a low-cost producer, making it a profitable ranch. Well, Donna West, Joe Gardner, uh, I would hi- I love the book, and I would highly recommend if people are looking for a book for Christmas, it's called Douglas Lake Ranch, Empire of Grass, uh, a great uh, uh, book. And just to, they've really got the history down. The visuals are amazing. Highly recommend it. Uh, Donna West, Joe Gardner, thank you so much for your time today. Thank, thank you, you, Jess. Goodbye now is over. That's all. Thank you. All right. That's a wrap. It's Friday, and this is The Wrap on the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Thank God it's This week, we ask, has the media industry gone too far with artificial intelligence? And the Merriam-Webster Dictionary declared authentic as 2023's Word of the Year. Why? We'll find out. Joining me now is Leah Halayef. She's a TV reporter and radio host. And Sarah Daniels is a real estate agent in South Surrey, author and broadcaster. They're our rap panel. Hello, ladies. Yellow. Hi guys. Yellow. Yo. <laughs> Let's talk about the media industry. First, uh, computer-generated writers are generating stories. Sports Illustrated, SI is the latest media company to see its reputation damaged by being less than forthcoming, if not outright dishonest, about who or what is writing its stories at the dawn of the artificial intelligence age. The once powerful publication said it was firing a company that produced articles for its website written under the byline of authors who apparently don't exist, but it denied a published report that the stories themselves were written by artificial intellig- by an artificial intelligence tool. All right, well, let's start with this, uh, Leah. I mean, I know uh, everybody's looking to save some dollars, but what is a media wow. a media organization without any reporters? Where do you go from there? Yeah, where's the line? You know, they got to walk a fine balance, but AI won't. I mean, I think we're artificially intelligencing ourselves out of jobs. That's what I think we're doing. I think people need jobs. AIs don't get paid for jobs. 
we keep creating opportunities for AIs to take over us completely. And like I've mentioned this before, Jazz, I mean, AI will be the destruction of the world. Remember Terminator? Yeah. I'm just saying, that is what our future is. That's what's going to happen. So we got to stop this. We I, really do. I can see <laughs> that. Do. Sarah, what do you think about all this? I mean, you know, you can punch in a question or you can ask AI to write a story and it's usually grammatically correct. It's not perfect, but Crazy. it gets the basic stuff done. I mean, how do we fight this at the end and, of the day? And, and do you know it's actually me that you're talking to? No, I don't. You really don't, do <laughs> no, you? No, I don't. I don't like it. I mean, the, the thing is, I, I want to see... <laughs> I want to see spelling mistakes. I want to see grammatical errors. I want to see human fallibility. I want to see, yeah, I want to see opinions. I don't want to see, you know, crap written by a computer that, you know, has like no judgment, no opinions, no anything. No feelings. Right. I mean, you know, people that invent this stuff, the people that, you know, obviously, you know, brighter minds than me and I could never, you know, think I, I, I can barely figure, I can't even believe that there's TVs. How do they work? How do radios work? I don't know. <laughs> These are things that people much smarter than me obviously have invented and perfected over time. But AI really like basically, you know, in for all intents and purposes, taking humans out of the equation. That seems mm-hmm. a little stupid, don't you think? It We're is. a little dumb. Well, and the other thing is um, you actually have to cover these stories. In fact, you physically have to be in some of yeah. these places. Look at look at Israel today. Look at uh, uh, Gaza. Like you, you, AI can't be there. They AI can do only, a live hit it from can the only, Gaza Plaza. No, you know? it can only like, collect yeah, information based what's out on the out on the yeah. World Wide Web. And 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 that and what and what it's being fed too, right? Because like you know, who knows what AI is being fed? Because as we all know, a lot of these place things like Facebook all work with algorithms, right? So if the AI is only being fed by a certain algorithm, the AI is producing you know things that may how be are they being held based accountable on those then? algorithms. There is right? no right? accountability. Like their articles, how are they There's being no accountable? accountable? There's no yeah. accountability. That's uh, that's that's part of the problem. I I, I yeah. love to see swim uh, SI's swimsuit issue with uh, with. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that'll be a big seller. Yeah. Let me see your computer well, chips. They are creating fake profiles and stuff like that, and people think they're real people that they're following, and they're not. They're computer-generated, yeah. you know? But AI catfishing, basically. Yeah. Well, they can do that, but once you can create a, let's say, a model for a print ad or mm-hmm. even really high-end animation... Um, well, that's uh, what actors ca- have been fighting for, right? Yeah, but that's yeah. you've got these influencers, so. the, 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 the AI influencers, a lot of these companies now are using, and they can work 24-7. Uh, there's no behavior they challenges. They don't get paid. They don't get paid. You just have to create them <laughs> once, or the company that's created them may get paid a little bit, but you're not. it's not the same as a human being. So it is definitely, definitely a brave new world. Are you seeing it in real estate yet, Sarah? In regards to AI, I, I mean, honestly, some I, I do AI get some contracts sent to me. Yeah, I, I do get some contracts <laughs> sent to me sometimes, and I'm thinking, who who actually did write this? What who on <laughs> earth? What on earth? And and oh, good lord! But but no, I mean, I you know, I, I, there's always questions about, especially in the way of you know, and it, this is for any profession, whether you know that if you're having to do online courses or you know, etc. Is the person actually there or are they AIing it? I mean, you just don't know. I mean, it's going to get to the point where you're going to like you're going to be able to AI your responses to exams that you're doing at home. And that's not going to help anybody. No. And deep fakes. Like, look at we're we're turning into a very scary society. I'm telling you, you're not going to be anything anymore. Yeah, somewhere (laughs) along the way, there's hopefully there's a world where uh, where effort matters, talent matters, 
right now we're in a world of George Santos's, right? I mean, this (laughs) is really, this is really, I mean, when, when a jackass like that can get that far, I mean, honestly, I know he bought high end clothing from those donations, but did he, did he have an OnlyFans account too? He had an OnlyFans account (laughs) and apparently he ripped off a a fellow a fellow congressman and his mother. I mean, there's just oh. it, 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 and a and guy and his is, dog too. That's situation. He is as well. like the human oh, version of AI, dumb. right? Oh you know, my just, god! If you say enough stuff, it'll it'll somehow be true. Boy, and did I do po- boy did I do politics wrong? I'll tell you. That. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Merriam-Webster's uh, Word of the Year for 2023 is one that saw an increase in searches this year, mm. and that word, of course, is authentic. And authentic <laughs> isn't a new trendy word like Riz, but it's uh, been downloaded a lot. And part of part of the reason that the, the company believes that that's the case is we've been talking about social media and artificial intelligence, uh, all those types of things that lots of lots of people using the, or typing in the word uh, authentic uh, has been driving some of this. Riz was also one of them, uh, and that's a pretty trendy one. That means charismatic, according to kids out there. Coronation was one they were looking at as well. Uh, dystopian, and, and here's an acronym, EGOT. Jesus. EGOT, which is an acronym for Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, I guess. Uh, somebody won all four. Viola Davis, I guess, has earned all four at one point. Um, but uh, the other words... Uh, that were also really high on the list, implode, which pretty much explains 2023. And, of course, indict. That would, of course, be uh, Donald Trump, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So uh, do you guys like the idea? Let me start with you, Leah. What do you think of the word authentic? I don't mind authentic being words in 2023. I don't know. When I heard it, I immediately thought of right-wingers and, of course, the fake news. You know, being authentic. That's kind of where I went. Uh, and I thought, okay, everybody's saying be your authentic self, be your authentic self, which then when I look at it that way, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense, you know, for LGBTQ plus, you know, so be your authentic self. So then I kind of thought, no, it's actually a good word. So I'm going to take it as the good word. But for myself, if I was to think of the best word for 2023, unstable. I think the world has been very unstable. Everything's been unstable. I think that one fits perfectly for me. I yeah, think that's I, my I, word for 2023. I think so. Sarah, what about you? Do you like the uh the, do you like authentic for 2023? No, because whenever any, anybody <laughs> ever says to me like, "Oh, you know, I I that's just so authentic." I'm like, "Okay, so it's fake." I mean, you know, as soon as if, if you have to tell me that you're being it's 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 authentically this or you authentically or you know whatever, I'm then like you're always lying. Thinking, yeah, you're full of crap, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just, you know, and so, I mean, I, I guess it, it, especially when we were talking about AI earlier, now it now it is kind of becoming a word in the sense of, is this an actual human that did this or is this AI? Is this authentically is authentic? a human? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is it authentic or not? I don't know. For me, the word would be uneducated because I think that that is uh, <laughs> literally what we are seeing throughout the world. People, people don't read independently anymore Mm -hmm. they don't search out new information they don't challenge themselves like i I like to think that you know i i read from a variety of different um news sites every day including ones that i patently disagree with but i also do that because i want to see what the other side of of things looks like and what and what kind of news people are digesting and i think it's Part of the problem in the world these days is that we're we're just we're uneducated. We don't we don't seek out new opinions. We don't seek out new thoughts. 
And we stay in our little information silos and don't talk to anybody. Followers. You know, so many I, followers. I think you're right. And yeah. it's it's not even just picking up a newspaper. People think, you know, TikTok is a news source and it's not. <laughs> Which is embarrassing. Which is, yeah. And yeah. I'm not on TikTok because, I mean, I've got enough problems as it is. I don't need TikTok. Yeah, and you also don't want to be giving all, I mean, you allow TikTok on your, put an app on your TikTok app on your phone. You're pretty much telling the Chinese government, hey, take a look through my contacts. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, that's exactly. about it. I'm not joking. It's that bad. It's a huge security threat i don't have it either and in fact i've cut oh, down I on do. apps any social media app i keep twitter still which i'm stupid for I, doing I, that. Deleted, I, I got rid of guys. twitter i got i got rid of twitter a couple of weeks ago after yeah. the whole elon when, once elon musk came out as all the anti-semitic yeah. crap i was like you know what i've had this account for a while i rarely ever use it do i care like no i don't i've got friends actually a, a couple of friends of mine that have a huge follower count on twitter and they've got and and they are torn because you know, even though they've lost their blue check because they refused to pay. Yeah, me yeah. But, but that's the thing is I said to them, like, you could be anybody now. You could be. Yeah. You you could be authentic or inauthentic. <laughs> but Twitter doesn't care. No. Sarah, X was also one of the words that they were thinking of, by the way. Really? So I thought, thank God they didn't. Sarah would have lost her mind. Yeah, that was one of the words they were thinking because yeah, of formerly I mean, Twitter X and, and all his. And it's, and it's, it's, <laughs> Elon it's a letter. Uh, I, I, love, I love the fact that we still have a month left to He's already telling off advertisers the other day. Well, oh, that's, yeah. you know, he, he overpays. Well, while he was sitting in the audience. I mean, like, I know. can you be any stupider? It's hard to know. Uh, he pays off. He pays $44 billion for Twitter, which is about double the cost. And it's worth two bucks And it's just driving it into the ground. And he still has the arrogance. Oh, advertisers, what do I need those for? Well, uh, there's a reason. That's what it runs on. So. But, but this is the thing is that there are actually, you know, we can talk about authentic authenticness and all that kind of stuff. And it, lack of education now and people go onto twitter and they read hateful things because hateful things have gone up so mm-hmm. much and they're emboldened by that and you know this is this is our problem in the world that's is the big problem when you've got right people now like, yeah. when you've got people like donald trump and those those people saying that mainstream media which is basically main the reason it's called mainstream is it's the middle ground it's not trying to take an opinion it's just no sign. that is the yeah. problem well, it's on the left and the then, right. Then, then that, the, then that mm-hmm. is a huge problem. We worry too much about the left, far left, and the far right thing, and that's part of our problem. Ladies, yeah. we're out of time. Have yourself a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful, have happy an weekend. weekend. Have guys. an authentic yeah. weekend. There you weekend. go. Stay away from I'm Twitter, that's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.